You know, guys, it's no obvious, uh, everybody's talking about the last 16, 18 months has been just brutal. And uh, in addition to the COVID thing, dealing with uh, the George Floyd instance and all the stuff that goes around that, all the emotions that are tied into that. The last few weeks hearing about the, the unmarked graves in the residential schools, um, there's probably greater political nastiness and division than I don't know if ever. Um, it is a, a really brutal time around things like that. And what can happen in seasons like this is our vision and our faith can really shrink. And we can really get down to just thinking about ourselves and, and we lose the bigger picture. And our, our view of God can be distorted. And uh, one of the things that uh, A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, said this, he says, our, our, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And so our view of God shapes our decisions, it shapes our priorities, um, how we invest our time, our passions. And so um, this morning, I want to ask you a question, who is the God that you serve? What comes into mind when you think of God? And so I'm just going to pray real quick and lead us through this time. Father, I thank you for the men and women here. I thank you for this church and how you have blessed them over the years. Thank you for allowing us to gather together again and, and for living in a time when we can get vaccinated and, and even get, um, get life coming back to normalcy. So, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us and speak through me today, and I just want to thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a few different, um, what I uh, kind of inaccurate views of God that are pretty common to a lot of us. And I'm just going to go through some of these, just to emphasize either inaccurate views of God. The first one is that some of us, when we think of God, we serve kind of this old, tired, um, and kind of weakling God. This God is gray-haired, and he's exhausted. I mean, he's been running the universe for a while, and, you know, back in the Old Testament, he was doing some stuff, but, you know, today in this high-paced, you know, tech-leading world, it, I don't know if God can really keep up with what's going on. And uh, this God is, is, you know, feels like the world's out of control, and he's not really sure what to do about it. Um, and we can't ask this God for too much because we really don't want to overwhelm this God. That, that's one view of God. A second inaccurate view of God is some of us serve a uh, Marvel comic book God. We kind of think of him like Thor, you know, like he's a really powerful God, but there's this equally powerful opponent that he has, and, and we're not sure how the battle is going to turn out, you know? I mean, one day Jesus may lose his hammer, and then we're all in trouble, right? I mean, that's, there's kind of this fear that people have around this inaccurate view of God here. Some of us serve more of an apathetic God, this God who created the world, and then he just walked away. And uh, he's, you know, he's too busy with, I don't know, his golf game or whatever to be concerned about us and our needs. Um, the world's in trouble, but yeah, he just, he's just not going to worry about that too much. Some of us serve a God who's an angry judge. We're convinced that God is generally unhappy with us, and he's just waiting to punish us for our sin and disobedience. We think that God is disappointed with us every time we sin, and so we, we try to do penance, to some sort of penance to try to get back in God's good uh, books. Um, and some of us, I think many of us serve a regional God. What I mean by this is we, our view of God is really about my needs and my community. When we think about this God, um, this God looks like me, thinks like me, has the exact same political views that I have, and is concerned about really what's happening in my immediate community or family or whatever it is. But a regional God is completely unconcerned about what's going on in the rest of the body of Christ, the rest of the world. You know, a droughts going on in, in Africa or earthquakes in Indonesia, violence in the Middle East. Nah, this God's not too concerned about that because we've got to take care of my needs right now. 
So, and these things just aren't relevant to the person um, to, um, to th kind of thinks that way. This, this God is a regional God. So, so what kind of a God do you serve? I know for myself, each of those ones I described, I've probably thought that way at, at various times in my life. But I want to take us through a little more accurate view of God. The first view is that we serve an awesome creator God, all right? So a few weeks ago, my wife and I had a privilege of going to Niagara Falls. We were able to get a hotel room that was overlooking the falls. It was just breathtaking. And, um, you know, we, we, we got there and just amazing amount of water, right? It's just pouring over the falls. And then we went to bed and we woke up the next morning and there was an amazing amount of water pouring over the falls. And we went out for a hike and we came back and there was amazing, right? It keeps going, right? And what I learned is that every second, 680,000 gallons go over Horseshoe Falls every second. So that means that every hour, there's about 2.44 billion gallons of water going over Horseshoe Falls. Now, here's what's really interesting. Each one of us needs about a gallon of drinking water every day. That means that about every three hours, there's enough water pouring over the Niagara Falls to provide the drinking water needs of every man, woman, and child on the planet. I mean, that's amazing. And if you can see in this picture here, you see the little boat down there, the Maid of the Mist. If you guys haven't had a chance to do that, would really encourage you. It's amazing you go down. You can't really see much because the water is so overwhelming. But, you know, a few times I get a peak of just this majestic, massive waterfalls, and it's just overwhelming how huge these waterfalls are, how awesome they are. But then when I think about that, it's like, eh, it's not really that big when you compare it to, say, I don't know, the sun. Let's take a look at the sun here. So here's a picture of our sun. And um, next to it down the lower left there, you can see Jupiter. I'm a big fan of Jupiter because of its massive gravitational pull, which sucks in all the giant asteroids, which would basically end the life of, on Earth. And so um, you can see that um, Jupiter compared to the sun is really not very big. But then down at the very bottom, you see that little white dot. That's the planet Earth. And this is pretty much at scale. My understanding is that about 960,000 Earths can fit inside of our sun. I mean, this is a massive, massive star, but actually it's not that big. Let's take a look at this next one. Um, this is one of my favorite stars. Um, if you can go to the next slide, um, this is called Betelgeuse. And uh, this star, Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse, um, this one is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. Wow, amazing. And that's huge, right? Just massive. You can't even think about it. Well, it's actually not that big. Because when you think about it, this star is just one star. And in and, and our galaxy, this is a different galaxy, but in the Milky Way galaxy, there's 150 billion stars that are out there. And then that's really big. But it's not that big when you consider there's 100 billion galaxies in our universe. The God we serve is an awesome creator God. And, uh, you know, what I love about this is... Psalm 33, 6 to 8 says this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God spoke these into existence. By the starry host, the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of seas into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. And Isaiah 40, 12 says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think of Niagara Falls in there. Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? So we serve an awesome creator God. Now, the second thing about our God is that this God is totally in control of history. I love that. You know, it may not feel like it over this last little while when everything seems completely out of control and we're not sure what's going on, but we can be assured that we serve an awesome, 
all-powerful God who is in control of history. Um, this next slide here you can look at just helps me kind of picture how does God orchestrate everything. Well, you see, God is above time. He's outside of time, and so He can see what happened at the beginning of the time, end of time, and in between. And so He's able to arrange all of His things to ha- all of circumstances to happen so that His plans will be accomplished. I mean, think about what happened just for the whole story in Exodus. I mean, God allowed Joseph to be kidnapped, you know, by his brothers and sold into slavery. And that happened so that at the right time and place he would be, you know, put in jail and then so that he would be able to meet Pharaoh so that he could then become powerful leader in, in Egypt so that when his family in, in drought was able to come back and, and be able to survive so that Abraham's lineage, which ultimately was Jesus' lineage, could be continued on so that we could have all these, these people would become enslaved after, you know, a couple hundred years and so that they could be freed so that we could see that God was able to do these incredible, miraculous things. And we look at what God did in, in uh, Egypt, or I'm sorry, in, in the Exodus, and we just think, wow, that God is totally in control of everything, and He was able to make all these amazing things happen. I mean, you think about Pharaoh at the time who was the most powerful ruler on the planet Earth, and God just toyed with him like a puppet. Okay, now I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now I'm going to soften Pharaoh's heart. Now I'm going to harden his heart. And he didn't have a lot of control there, that God was in control of that. I mean, you think about Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most fearful, awesome rulers in history, and yet again, you can see in the book of Daniel how God sometimes, you know, made, uh, scared him with some dreams. Other times said, here, I'm going to take control over your circumstances. And so, we tend to think of, um, we tend to forget that God is totally in control of history. Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Psalm 2.2, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. And I love Psalm 115.3, which says, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Our God does what He wants, when He wants, and He is in control of all of history. I mean, think about how, again, He orchestrated Jesus' birth, you know, over 600 prophecies. He was, he was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, David, and He just followed His lineage, and God orchestrated all of this to accomplish His macro purposes of bringing Jesus to the world. Now, Satan really wants to thwart God's plans. He wants to mess them up because he knows that, okay, if I can just get in way and stop his plans and I can have more power, but ultimately, he has no ability to do so. Job 42.2 says, God, I know you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. God does what he wants when he wants. And you know, again, when we think of the God versus Satan, we can kind of think of Thor versus Thanos, but that's totally wrong. God versus Satan is a little more like Beetlejuice versus like a ping pong ball, okay? That's kind of the way we need to think about it. God is so overwhelmingly, awesomely powerful that Satan can only do what God allows him to do. This is the God that we are serving, and he is totally in control of history. We serve a God of miracles, the God of miracles who, uh, you know, is able, who created the laws of physics, and he's able to overrule them whenever he wants to. Again, when we look at Exodus, we can see how he parted the Red Sea. He, he brought water from a rock. He provided manna out of nowhere. We look at how Jesus interacted with the world. We see how he turned water into wine. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 and 7,000 people with um, just a few fish and loaves. He healed the sick and the lame, raised Lazarus and the little girl from the dead, and he conquered death. 
This is the God we serve. And so he's able to do miracles. And there's a great book that I read several years ago um, by Lee Strobel, who wrote Case for Christ and Case for the Creator. I, I love all those books. He wrote one called The Case for Miracles. And in this book, he documents all of these miraculous events. And he interviews this um, one author who actually documented hundreds, scientifically documented uh, miracles that had no other explanation. And, and so, so cool to see that God is um, a God of miracles. And I'm just going to share one kind of cool miracle story that God blessed our family with a few years ago. We were... Um, we were, um, when our kids turned 16, we wanted to take them on a, you know, a special trip, and, and um, we're trying to figure out where to go and, and what to do, and, and we thought, hey, we'd like to go on a cruise. Uh, my son was interested in going on a cruise, and my wife and I were talking about it, and I said, we can really only afford you and my son to go. We just, we just don't have the money for all four of us to go, and she said, I'd really like it to be a family trip, and, and so we're like, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually... Um, we're going to ask God to provide all the money that we need. We're gonna, we can cover half of this cost, but we're going to ask God to provide the other half of the cost for this cruise, and we're going to ask Him for a little bit more money so that we can give it to some other family who's in need. And we're not going to talk to anybody about this. We're not going to tell anybody or ask anybody. We're just going to pray and see what God does. So I told the kids, and I, well, I can't say we prayed a lot, but we prayed. And about six weeks before, four or five weeks before we're heading out on this cruise, um, we got an email from a friend who says, hey, I'm really excited about you taking your family on the cruise. I wonder if I can help you out. And he sends us a check that covered 85% of the cost of uh, the last two of us going. And it was like, wow, that was so cool. And we thought, oh, thank you. And I said to my wife, yeah, but we're praying for this much, and we only got 85% of that. And so we, um, we continued to pray, and, and four days later, my wife's having coffee with a friend, and her friend who had knew nothing about the other check, knew nothing about what we were praying for, handed my wife a check that was for the last 15% of what we were praying for. And so we were able to give that amount to another friend. And so God just supernaturally provided that out of nowhere. It's so cool. We serve a God of miracles, and I love that. The fourth thing is that we serve a God who is actively involved in drawing all people to Himself. And this gets me very excited. You know, it can really feel oftentimes here in North America that in the midst of all the chaos that's going on, that people just aren't that interested, that, that maybe, you know, the Christianity is losing momentum and faith in God is losing momentum. But God is at work in incredible ways around the world. So let me just give you an example. A couple of years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of speaking to a number of Southeast African uh, leaders um, who were doing uh, ministry all across uh, university campuses in Southeast Africa, and was talking to one of the leaders, and, and he was really discouraged. And he was a refugee, you know, the ministry was really hard, support wasn't coming in, et cetera. And he says, Greg, he says, how do you keep going? Like, what, what keeps you going? And I said, let me, let me tell you a story of how God is at work. I said, about 40 years ago, um, less than one generation, there was three parts of the world that seemed completely impossible. There was no way we could get the gospel in here. Eastern Europe, China, and the Muslim world. Eastern Europe was, was communism, was, was closed to the gospel, that you could get arrested for sharing the gospel, you couldn't get access to Bibles, it was completely, you know, closed off and, and very difficult. And when you did get in there, people just really weren't that interested. And uh, they had been taught that the world was, you know, there was, there was no God, and they're pretty comfortable with that. And, um, and so just no interest. Well, China, same type of thing. In, in 1980, 81, there was approximately 1 million Chinese in a country of 800 million uh, who are Christians, uh, 100, uh, 1 million out of 800 million who are believers. And again, when you went and shared, just no interest. No, there is no God. We are not interested in this type of thing. 
And then if those were difficult, well, the Muslim world was completely impenetrable. I mean, if you ever saw a Muslim come to Christ, it was miraculous. I mean, you just didn't see that. And so what has happened in the last 40 years? Well, we know that communism fell in the late 90s, and, and, and shortly after that, there was an openness to the gospel. People were going in and bringing in um, Bibles. They were showing the Jesus film in schools and in, in government um, buildings, and uh, government leaders were becoming followers of Christ. They were using the Jesus film and the Bible as curriculum for schools right across some of these formerly communist states. Unbelievable openness to the gospel in this short window of time. People would be fighting each other to get a hold of Bibles. What happened in China? About the same time in the, in the late 90s, God started moving in China in ways that we had never seen before. And there was, um, they would say that um, in some places they were saying between 25 and 50% of the people that they were sharing the gospel with were praying to receive Christ. I mean, there was such an openness to the gospel and everywhere our students and different people were going and sharing the gospel. And then if you met Chinese students who'd come to Canada, they also were incredibly open to the gospel. And so God started moving and, and developing this incredible movement where today there's close to 100 million believers in China. And these Chinese believers are not just interested in reaching their country, they're praying that God could use them to send missionaries back right across the Silk Road to reach the Muslim world. And so God has moved in Eastern Europe and then China and then the Muslim world, we've seen something that's unbelievable in the last 30 years. In fact, more Muslims have become followers of Jesus in the last 30 years than in the previous 1,400 years combined. And God is doing incredible things. Muslims are having dreams and visions about Jesus, and they're coming to faith in huge numbers. There's, um, there's this phrase that started coming into play in the late 90s called MBB, which stood for Muslim Background Believer. We'd never used that before because we didn't have that many Muslim background believers, but now they're everywhere, and they're coming to Christ, and they're leading entire families, and entire communities are coming to Christ in different parts of the world. God is at work, and He is doing incredible moves all over the world today. We serve a God who is on the move to draw all people to Himself. What an exciting time to be alive. Fifth, we serve a God, a, a good God who loves us. Uh, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? This God loves us intensely. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, even COVID, even some of the racial tensions we've had, even the residential school situations, God has an ability to use these to work them out for good. In our short-sightedness, we can feel like the world's out of control, but God is good, and He loves us, and He has a plan to draw people to Himself. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then in addition to that, when I, when I was at Niagara Falls that time, God just kind of gave me this picture of the, those, those water pouring over was like His blessings being lavished upon us. And I think about what it's gonna be like in heaven when the fullness of joy, the fullness of His blessings is just gonna be overwhelming us for eternity. Isn't that going to be incredible? And we're going to get to be in God's presence and in all the rewards that we get for serving and obeying Him, we're going to get to enjoy. This is the God that we serve. So who is the God that you serve? He is not a, an old or a weak God. He is an awesome, all-powerful creator of the universe. We do not serve a Marvel comic book God. We serve the unrivaled, victorious King of Kings whose plans can never be thwarted. 
We do not serve an apathetic God. We serve a God who sent His Son to die for us, who's God who passionately loves us and is actively involved in drawing people to Himself. He is, um, we do not serve an angry God. We serve a God who poured out His wrath on His Son so that we could have a relationship with Him and that we could experience uh, a peace in, in that relationship. We serve a God whose grace increases to match or overwhelm our sins. We serve a God who is fully pleased with us because of the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us because of death, Christ's death on the cross. And we do not serve a regional God. We serve the King of the universe who foretold a celebration one day with people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. I look forward to being part of that. So in light of this, what should we do? What should we do? Well, I want to give you um, four different principles. First thing is, one, to get to know God better. Secondly, is to develop a habit of worship. Third is to pray God-sized prayers. And four is to tell others about Him. So first of all, get to know God better. Um, I know this church is committed to God's Word and getting you into the Word, and I love that about these guys. And let me just encourage you to commit to studying and reading God's Word. Um, it's going to help as you read God's Word. You get to understand His character. You can see, look what God did through history. Look how He wove everything together for good through Daniel's life and through Joseph and through the book of Acts. Even He was able to take these horrible things and use them for His good. And it's so good to be able to see that as we study and, and learn, God, uh, learn about God through through His Word. Um, you can see how God supernaturally intervened time and time again to, have, uh, to advance His mission. And for most of us, when it comes to God's Word, at least for me, we need a plan. I know that if I just kind of wing it, it doesn't go very well. But I found um, one of the tools, um, first of all, holidays is a great time. I often will try to take my holidays and spend extended time in the Word and, you know, spend maybe an hour or more reading different passages, etc. And then also we'll, um, you know, I've just the last year started using the version with a couple of groups that I lead, and all of us are going through it together. And it's been great. You can comment on whatever you're reading, and it just gets everybody kind of accountable to keep reading God's Word together, which I appreciate it. And so, you know, we're just reading through the New Testament in a year takes probably five minutes a day, and then, you know, I'll read a little bit more in my, my Bible as well, but, um, you know, we all do better with a plan. And I think the same is true when it comes to prayer, um, that I think it's helpful to have some kind of a plan or a structure around your prayer. I have a journal where I write out my prayer requests, and, and I have a list of different things, and so when people say, hey, could you pray for this? I say yes, and I write it down in my journal. It helps me remember the things that God has um, brought before me, and there's other things I'm constantly adding and, and, and removing from that, but just continually praying to have that plan. And also, you know, I would encourage you to set aside some extended times of prayer. I like to go on long walks where I'll just kind of me and Jesus and I'll just share, God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm scared about. Here's some stuff that's going on. God, you're awesome, whatever. And so really uh, want to encourage you um, to do that. Um, a second priority, I think, is to develop a habit of worship develop a habit of worship. And so we often will come here and we sing, and, and Jameson and his team does an amazing job leading us in worship. But try to figure out how do I develop that habit throughout the week. Um, Chris uh, Shipley's been helpful and encouraged me to spend more time just listening to worship music. And as I go through my day, as I'm driving in, um, you know, to an appointment or whatever, I will try to, to listen to more worship music. And it just orients my mind to reminding me of how awesome this great God is who I serve. 
Um, another thing that I've, I've done, as I mentioned, um, I like to take these long walks, and I really view those as worship services. Um, I've got this little pond that's, you know, about a 15-minute walk away from my house, and I'll, I'll go there and I see that, you know, swans and geese and all kinds of, you know, beautiful animals that are there, and, and I get to enjoy some of the... Um, the, the wildflowers and, and different things. And I just say, God, look, look at how incredibly creative you are. Look at how you designed these things. You are majestic. You're beautiful. And I just have a great time interacting with the Lord. Um, I've had, you know, privileges of, you know, snorkeling in Fiji and going on safaris in Africa and, you know, different things like that. And I, I just find those worship services. This is where God is, is amazing, and so I love that. I love learning astronomy or ecology or biology, and it's like God that we serve created all of this, and He created this magnificent system that works together beautifully. What a great God that we serve, and so use that as an, a worship service catalyst for yourself as well. And also knowing that our God is a grace-filled, all-powerful, all-loving God, that's, that's enough to encourage us to make sure that we're developing that habit of worship. The third thing I want to encourage you guys is to pray God-sized prayers. Pray God-sized prayers. You know, knowing that God is a God of miracles and that God spoke the universe into existence, that prompts me to pray bigger prayers. That prompts me to start thinking about, man, you know, God, if you were able to change the heart of Pharaoh, you changed Saul into the Apostle Paul, and you changed the entire city of Nineveh, God, there's so much more you could do, and I'm just not asking you enough. So we need to ask God for God-sized prayers. Let me give you an example. Well, first of all, um, you can see that God provided, you know, water from a rock. He pr provided bread and fish for thousands and a coin in a fish's mouth. So God, you can provide for me. You can meet my needs. Um, God, you, I can ask you to use me in incredible ways. The realities of the past are the possibilities of the future. If God used people in the past to do incredible things, He can do that through you and me. And so let's ask Him. And uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Ephesians 3.20, which says, now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And I take that as a personal challenge. Okay, I'm thinking big. Whatever, no matter how big I'm thinking, it's too small. I need to think even bigger about what God could do. And so let me give you a few years ago, I thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start praying some God-sized prayers. And I need to just, I'm not sure um, exactly if God will choose to ever answer any of these, but I'm gonna put down some prayers that are completely outlandish, just ridiculous. And so here's, here's a list of some of those things I was praying for. I was involved, I've uh, been involved in fundraising, and so I get to meet different wealthy people. And I was praying, God, I would like to lead 20 multimillionaires to Christ. Could you allow me to have a, an opportunity to share Christ with these people to help them come to know Jesus? God, I would like to impact a thousand world leaders. God, I would love to be involved in mobilizing a billion dollars for your kingdom. And when I started praying this, I'd, I'd raised a total of about $4 million over 30 years of ministry. And, and so, but God, I would like to have, ask, I'm asking you, I don't know where it's going to come from. I'm not smart enough or gifted enough to do this, but I'd like to mobilize a billion dollars. God, I'd like to have an impact on millions of Muslims for the gospel. Would like to see these guys get to know Jesus. You know, right now there's 7,400 unreached people groups on the planet, people that are con um, never heard the gospel and because of cultural, geographic, or political reasons are completely isolated from hearing the gospel. And so I was praying, God, I would like to have an impact on 1,000 unreached people groups. Can you allow me to do that? So I started praying these prayers, and here's what God has done over the last few years. I've been praying those probably five, six years. A few years ago, I was on the 26th floor of a downtown office um, overlooking Lake Ontario 
with the CEO of a very large, uh, you know, a multi-million dollar company. This guy was multi-millionaire himself. And we went through the gospel. I was able to share the gospel with him. And a few weeks, a few months later, we met together, and he says, Greg, I, I prayed that prayer. I, I asked Jesus to take control of my life. That, that was pretty cool. I was like, wow, God, I was praying for 20, and you've given me one already. Can you give me some more now? I'd like to see you do that. A few years after I started praying this about the world leaders, God gave me an opportunity to help oversee the ministry with power to change called Christian Embassy, which works with ambassadors and members of parliament. And so I was able to share the gospel with a number of world leaders, some of these guys that are ambassadors from different countries and some of the top leaders from these places. I was able to share Christ with them. It's like, wow, look what you've done. About uh, maybe four or five years ago, the Lord um, allowed me to take part in helping a donor to give away $100 million dollars that's going towards taking the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel before. And I helped him set up this foundation that's now taking the gospel, funding ministries that are taking the gospel to the very least reached parts of the world. It's one of the most amazing things that I'm a part of. And it hit me. You got me 10% towards my ridiculous goal of a billion dollars. And so I've actually decided to up my goal, and I'm asking God, could you allow me to mobilize $10 billion? I don't know where it's gonna come from, Jesus, but you got lots of money, and I wanna help you mobilize it for the kingdom. And so what's happened through that foundation is that we're able to hopefully in the next 20, 30 years to impact millions of Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and atheists so they would get to know this incredible God that we know. And then also um, through that, um, we're hoping that we'll be able to impact a thousand or more unreached people groups. So this is the God we serve so we can pray God-sized prayers. So I want to encourage you to pray God-sized prayers. The last thing I want to talk about is um, just a very practical makes sense is that we should tell other people about him, right? I mean, it just makes sense. And so um, I'm going to do just a shameless name drop here that may or may not mean uh, some, something to some of you guys. But over the last several years, God has, has allowed me to become good, become good friends with a guy by the name of Paul Henderson. Some of you may know that Paul scored the winning goal in the Russia-Canada series in 1972, was an icon, one of the most, you know, impactful, biggest sports moments in Canadian history. Well, I've gotten to know Paul. He's a godly man. Paul prays for me often. He's been a mentor to me. I often go to him when I'm ready to quit, whatever. And, um, and you know, what's, what's really cool is every once in a while, I get a phone call from Paul Henderson. So I'm on my phone, you know, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, uh, oh, oh, excuse me. Paul Henderson's calling me right here. I got to get this real quick. And uh, if I'm by myself, I'm like, I'll walk over to someone who doesn't know. I'm sorry to bother you here, but I just want to let you know, Paul Henderson is calling me right now. And so I just, you know, I'm always like shameless about this kind of thing, right? And if some of you guys are like, oh, Beyonce, you know, your new Beyonce or LeBron, you know, Beyonce keeps bugging me, wants to hang out tonight. Sorry about that. Oh, I got to get this call from LeBron again. Like that's, we would have no problem telling people about our friendship and our relationship with these people, right? And yet when it comes to God, we just clam right up. But the God we serve is an amazing good God who wants to have a relationship. And so I would encourage you, in light of the fact of this incredible God we serve, to seek out opportunities to tell other people about this amazing God. Tell them about the prayers you've seen answered. Tell them about how he's given you peace and given you hope and purpose in your life. Don't shy away from doing this. This is an incredible God that we serve. Um, and you know, we know the King of Kings who created all these people. And, and so um, I'm uh, always asking God for opportunities for me to be able to share my faith and to be able to um, uh, be involved in helping to have an impact on other people. So um, guys, we serve an amazing God. 
And I, I hope today I've helped you think a little bit bigger about what, who this God is that you're serving. And, I, and I, my prayer is that this would be a church that reflects that on a regular basis and multiplies this all over the planet. And um, if this has been helpful to you afterwards, after the service, my wife will be selling, I've got a, a book that I've written called, uh, What Are You Trusting God For? It's kind of the next step. If we know that this God is awesome, then what can we trust Him for? And it's very practical and hopefully visionary and inspiring for you. She'll be selling those in the back. But let me pray for us. And then the worship uh, team, I believe, will be coming up and joining us. And so, Father, I thank You for um, Your love for us. I thank You that You are an incredible, awesome God. Lord, when I think about the vastness of the universe, and that you measure that with a span of your hand. When I think about how incredibly insignificantly small we are, and that yet you sent your son to die for us, that your thoughts towards us are, are if we were to count them, would outnumber the grains of sand on the world. Lord, you are an amazing God, and we thank you that we have the privilege of having a relationship with you. Jesus, I just pray that we would be a body of, of people that, that serves you, that loves you, and uh, that you would really allow us to have a, a massive impact on, on uh, Mississauga, Brampton, Ontario, Canada, and the world, Father. You're able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Father, we are inviting you today to do some incredible things through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.